I'm staying today. The episode's dropping on Mondays. It's the man, it's the man, watch that. It's the man, it's the man, watch that. It's the man, it's the man, watch that podcast. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. On this episode, we're going to be celebrating Pride Month by featuring movies, series, and performers who are part of the LGBTQA community. Before we start, I think great strides have been made in bringing LGBTQA stories and characters to movies, television, and streaming. Shudder has a collection of queer horror year-round, not just in June. Amazon Prime Video features Live Out Loud to celebrate LGBTQA plus filmmakers and actors, and carries Deku, Cinepride, and Hear TV on their channel service. In recent years, there has been some push that only members of the LGBTQA plus community should play LGBTQA plus characters. This has led some people to make ridiculous comparisons like, Why don't we cast bank robbers to play bank robbers? They obviously miss the point. In a perfect world, all actors should be able to portray any characters except for different ethnicities. I think we're past the point of Mickey Rooney playing an Asian character in Breakfast at Tiffany's, though it was only a few years ago where Emma Stone was cast as a character that had Chinese and Hawaiian descent. So, we're not there yet. As someone who's dabbled in acting, it's fun playing a character who's nothing like you. To explore their backstory and find places where you can connect, It makes you more empathetic, it gives you a better understanding of human nature, and in some cases, yourself. I wouldn't want to take that process away from anyone. But the problem is that people in the LGBTQA community aren't being given the opportunity to even audition for characters that they can relate to. They have the knowledge and experience to portray someone who has struggled with their sexuality, been bullied, harassed, or beaten for their attractions, rejected by families and communities, or fallen for someone who's straight. They can bring an authenticity to these parts, so why not cast them? Now, Hollywood does push acceptance and tolerance, but we have to understand that, first and foremost, it's a business. This is what leads studio heads to cast Tom Hanks as Robert Langdon or Tom Cruise as Jack Reacher, despite neither of them fitting the descriptions of those characters. But if you're investing millions of dollars in a movie, you go with your best bets. I mean, let's look at the LGBTQA roles that were cast with straight actors. Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry, Eddie Redmayne in The Danish Girl, Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal in Brokeback Mountain, Jeffrey Tambor in Transparent, Kate Blanchett in Carol, and the aforementioned Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. I can't blame any of those casting decisions at the time. But the times? They are a-changin'. U.S. embassies are now flying the pride flag. The San Francisco Giants will be the first MLB team to incorporate the rainbow within their logo and wear on the baseball field. Pronouns are being displayed in social media profiles. Conservatives are getting scared. We're headed in the right direction. But there's no easy solution to complex issues like this. No one should be rejected from portraying a part on the basis of orientation. 
There's no way to truly verify someone's sexuality unless they've publicly announced it. And actors shouldn't be vilified for taking a role. I think the whole point is to get people to think differently. There are plenty of gifted LGBTQA actors that are seeking an opportunity. It's the responsibility of the studio heads, the casting directors, and the filmmakers to cultivate that talent. With all that being said, naturally, the movie I've chosen features two straight actors playing gay characters. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars, Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars, Standard Fair. Four stars, Worth Checking Out. And five stars, Must See. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie, My Own Private Idaho, from 1991, about the developing relationship between two street hustlers. It was directed by Gus Van Sant, known for independent features Drugstore Cowboy, Elephant, and even Cowgirls Get the Blues, as well as mainstream successes with Goodwill Hunting, Finding Forrester, and Milk. He also wrote the screenplay, which was adapted from the play Henry IV by William Shakespeare. But don't worry, no one in the movie says forsooth. We're introduced to Mike Waters, who's standing in the middle of a vacant road, when he falls down and has a narcoleptic episode. We see flashbacks from his childhood of his mother. Shortly after, we learn that he's a hustler making a living servicing anyone who will pay. He's portrayed by River Phoenix, known for Stand By Me, The Mosquito Coast, Running on Empty, Sneakers, a fine young actor who has gone way too soon. I've spoken at length about my admiration of his abilities, so I won't go any further, but what a talent. After a wealthy woman hires him for the night, he comes across two other men she's paid for, including Scott Favor. He's the son of the mayor of Portland, and left home to prove that he can live without his family's affluence and influence. When he turns 21, he'll earn his inheritance and leave his life on the streets. He's played by Keanu Reeves, who's been in blockbuster franchises The Matrix, Bill and & Ted, and John Wick, and classic movies Point Break and Speed, which is a top 15 movie for me. Top 5 in action. He's just got a great presence on screen and a really solid actor. Sometimes questionable line readings. Cans! They're cans! <laughs> But I enjoy him. So when Mike has another episode, Scott cares for him through the night and they quickly become friends. They stay at an abandoned building with other runaways and their de facto leader, Bob Pigeon, before traveling together in search for Mike's mother. This was a really strong movie led by the performances of River Phoenix and Keanu Reeves. They play their roles so well. Mike is a bit skittish, scruffier, a tortured soul. Scott is put together, more confident, easily adaptable. The highlight of the film is when they have a fireside chat. The scene was originally written as three pages, but River Phoenix reworked it and it evolved into eight pages with room for bits of improvisation between the two leads. A signature of many Gus Van Sant films is to focus on the characters and sometimes the story tends to meander, but I never get bored by fantastic acting. They filmed it in Portland, Seattle, and Rome. There were some cool shots, including one where a magazine cover comes to life. Also, instead of filming a graphic and awkward sex scene, it was captured in live action, but in still. Very ingenious. Things to look out for. Jim Caviezel has an early role as an airline clerk. And Flea from the band Red Hot Chili Peppers plays a runaway. Speaking of music, the score was comprised by Bill Stafford, 
He only has two credited movies to his name, Tarzan and the Ape Man from 1981, and My Own Private Idaho 10 years later and last to date. There are seven titles in his filmography where he's uncredited as orchestrator. The soundtrack features an eclectic mix of artists, including Madonna, Elton John, Eddie Arnold, The Pogues, Rudy Valley, and River Phoenix's own band, Alexis Attic. The runtime is 1 hour 42 minutes. It had a budget of $2.5 million and grossed $6.4 million at the box office. It won the Film Independent Spirit Award for Best Male Lead, Best Screenplay, and Best Film Music. Ultimately, the movie comes down to Miriam Webster, Primary Colors, Dutch Boy, Mail Call, The Coming of the White Man, Four Plays, Red Coat, My Road, Rio Bravo, and Wake the Dead. I give it four out of five stars. Take off a star if you're not into independent films. Add half a star if you enjoy character-driven dramas. If you've seen My Own Private Idaho and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Seth Rudetsky is well known in the Broadway community. He's an actor, writer, musician, and radio host. He was born and raised on Long Island and got the performance bug at an early age and has been entertaining audiences ever since. He co-wrote the jukebox musical Disaster, which opened on Broadway in 2016, with a who's who of the Great White Way. Roger Bart, Kerry Butler, Kevin Chamberlain, Adam Pascal, Faith Prince, Rachel York, Max Crum, and Jennifer Samard. It featured songs from the 70s and parody disaster movies like The Towering Inferno, The Poseidon Adventure, and Earthquake. It was really funny and should have had a longer run, but just didn't find an audience. He was the musical director for the charity recording of What the World Needs Now is Love from Broadway for Orlando to support the victims of the Pulse nightclub shooting. I've met him twice. The first time was on the streets of Manhattan. We passed each other and I was surprised to see him blurting out Seth like I'd known him for years. We spoke for about 30 seconds and told him how much of a fan I was. Then we bumped into each other during the intermission at the closing night of School of Rock the Musical. He actually remembered me, and we shared memories of growing up on Long Island. No, he had no idea we met before, but he couldn't have been nicer. There are two clips that I've selected which show off his talents. The first is from the Gypsy of the Year competition, where he does a bit of a stand-up routine about Barbara Streisand and her singing habits. Ignore that he says literally at least 27 times. The second is from a video series he does entitled Seth Rudetsky Deconstructs, where he'll break down elements of a song in vivid detail from the lead singer's riffs, lyrical rhyme schemes, the orchestration, percussion beats, to background harmonies. This video features the song The Schuyler Sisters from Hamilton, though there are plenty to choose from. Even if I'm not interested in the featured artist or song, I'll listen to it because of the elements of the music he showcases. Now, I have a pretty good ear, but he spots things that registers without realization until someone points it out. Just brilliant. And I have to say, after looking at all these clips, I really do miss seeing a Broadway show, and I'm so glad that they're reopening soon. These clips are all available in the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. 
today I'm talking about? Vicious. It was a British sitcom starring Sir Ian McKellen and Sir Derek Jacobi as a gay couple who have been together for almost 50 years. They pass the time by throwing verbal jabs at each other and hosting parties with their circle of quirky friends. It's a really charming series that could easily fit in with programs of the 70s or 80s, but has a bit of a modern edge to it. It's definitely campy and over-the-top in some places, but purposely so. The series is filmed in front of a live studio audience, and it's nice to hear genuine laughter after punchlines. Sir Ian McKellen portrays Freddie Thornhill, a thespian who has a long career of bit parts. He is one of my favorite actors. He's done Shakespeare, portrayed despicable villains, sympathetic leads, and performs in all genres. A versatile actor. He was hilarious on Extras, which is my favorite Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant project. Sir Derek Jacobi plays Stuart Bixby, a former manager of a bar and current gossip. He's well known in the UK for his theater credits, but has appeared on television in I, Claudius, The Crown, Mr. Pie, Doctor Who, and movies Gladiator, Gossiford Park, The King's Speech, and Murder on the Orient Express. The two leads have a great rapport, and you believe in their long-term relationship because it's similar to their actual history. They met in the theater program at Cambridge. Both men have admitted to having crushes on each other during that time, but neither pursued it. They've remained friends ever since. You can tell there's a genuine affection for each other in behind-the-scenes clips, interviews, and bloopers. Other notable cast members include Francis de la Tour, who plays Violet, their promiscuous and boorish friend, and Ewan Rewan from Game of Thrones and Misfits as their new neighbor, Ash. This was the first mainstream British sitcom about a gay couple, but it's just as much about aging. It's nice to see older people on television who aren't playing a supporting role as, like, the sassy grandmother or the off-their-rocker grandfather. I mean, there was a time when The Golden Girls, Empty Nest, and Murder, She Wrote were some of the more popular shows on TV, but with networks trying to reach that 18-35 to 35 demographic, streaming services have become that outlet to give opportunities to tell these stories as featured on Grace and Frankie, Bosch, and The Kaminsky Method. Representation is important for all communities, all ages, and all orientations. Vicious was on for two seasons, 14 episodes, with two specials from 2013 to 2016. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I do plan on having an interactive element, but I need them listeners. So follow, subscribe, like, and spread the word. Until next time, this road will never end. U.S. embassies are now flying the plied flag. The plied flag? Jeez. He wrote the musical Jukebox Disaster. No, no, it's a jukebox musical. <laughs> that wording was a disaster. It was a British sitcom starring Sir Ian McKellen and Sir Der Der Jar Wow, that was bad. After a healthy woman, after a healthy woman. It's a, it's a wealthy woman, you dope. <laughs>